Dr. Scott Atlas. Making us laugh, funny man Steve Geyer. Ben Thompson with a tribute to the king of rock and roll. And country music singer-songwriter Buddy Jewel. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Welcome, everybody, and we're so happy to have you with us. Now, did you know that this week was National Puppy Day, just the other day? A few weeks ago, yeah, let's hear it for the puppies, all right? Why not? A few weeks ago, I showed you photos of the two puppies that my wife and I had just brought home, and I told you that people our age getting two puppies at the same time was the equivalent of Sarah and Abraham having twins. <laughs> well, being that it's been National Puppy Day this week, I thought might be a good time to bring them to the show. So would you please welcome my wife, Janet, and Gumbo and Bandit. Ah, yes. Well, folks, this is Gumbo that I'm holding. And this Janet, is Bandit. Yeah, she's got Bandit over here. These beautiful puppies. And yes, our studio audience is ooing and aahing <laughs> over the pups. <laughs> and you know, I may not even be able to finish the show because frankly, I'm tempted to go and play with the puppies. <laughs> but the show must go on, and the pups simply must go. <laughs> and go, and go, and go. That's what puppies do. I really wanted them to go over on tray, but I hadn't been able to get them trained for that just yet. You know, in a world that is so polarized by politics, I do find that we'd be better off if we had more puppies and fewer politicians. I, I don't hide the fact that I'm a lover of dogs because I believe dogs make us better people. They teach us unconditional love and loyalty. And if you ever wonder who really loves you, put your dog and your wife in the trunk of your car for two hours. <laughs> And when you come back and open the trunk, guess which one is glad to see you? Not me. Yeah. <laughs> I know the answer to that question. Now, some would even suggest that the unconditional love of a dog is the closest thing to God's unconditional love that we'll ever experience on Earth. And maybe, yeah, maybe it's why dog is God spelled backwards. Kind of reminds me of the old joke about the dyslexic atheist. He didn't believe there was a dog. <laughs> Some of you are a little slow on that one, but you'll think of it. 
I actually think that the 2020 election had more to do with dogs than Democrats and dead people voting. <laughs> I do. Let me explain. Donald Trump was the first president in a long time to not have a dog. He would sometimes speak of dogs in terms that many of us dog owners just wouldn't agree with. He would say of a person that they lied like a dog or that they quit like a dog. Had he owned a dog, he'd know dogs don't lie. They're pretty honest to a fault and they don't quit. They just keep at it until their owner quits or until they collapse in exhaustion. So maybe if Donald Trump had just had a dog, he would have been so busy picking up after the puppy, he wouldn't have had time to tweet something that people thought was mean. And, and when he did tweet something, his dog would have caused him to tweet nice things. So if he runs for president again, I hope he'll first get a dog, even before he gets a campaign manager or a running mate. Now, I own a t-shirt that says, I love my dogs and maybe three other people. I've had dogs since I was a very little boy. And for most of my adult life, I've had all kinds of dogs and I've loved them all. But Harry Truman used to say that if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. He's absolutely right. Our political environment just doesn't lend itself to kindness. And dogs are loyal in a way that most humans, especially in politics, are not. It's been my experience that my dogs never think I make a bad speech, never think I've made a bad decision. They don't believe a thing that the nasty newspapers write about me or the terrible things that the talking heads on TV say about me. They ask for little more than a bowl of food and fresh water, and they don't mind that it's the exact same menu every day. <laughs> they aren't into high fashion, and they don't demand to be provided with cell phones and a TikTok account. <laughs> so in honor of National Puppy Day and the two cutest puppies in America, Gumbo and Bandit, here's wishing you and your furry family members a full bowl of food and plenty of bones and a nice belly rub. Well, we've got a very illuminating interview with former Trump medical advisor, Dr. Scott Atlas, right after the break. And Bandit is excited. So don't you go away, because he won't either. And welcome back. Dr. Scott Atlas spent months behind the scenes at the Trump White House in the early days of the coronavirus pandemic. All that time, conflicting information, guidance, competing egos, and what he says is a poor understanding of the science that dominated the COVID task force led by Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Atlas lays it all out in this latest book, which I hope you will get if you wonder what really was going on. This book tells you. It's called A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. 
Please welcome to the show for the very first time one of my heroes in this whole battle, Dr. Scott Atlas. Dr. Atlas, great having you here. You, you weren't a political person, you were a doctor. You suddenly found yourself thrust into an environment, and I think it was probably shocking to find out that there were people that it wasn't all about COVID, it was about position and, and posturing. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I accepted uh, the obvious, which was when the President of the United States asks you to help the country, the answer is yes, it's not, a, it's not even a question. And I was shocked at what I saw. It was very different from the typical, uh, well, from what we were fed as Americans, that there were these experts that were scientists that were focused on uh, being very uh, critical about what was published, looking at the data in detail. I saw something quite, quite different from that. They weren't prepared. They didn't know the literature. They weren't knowledgeable. They weren't critical thinkers. They were, frankly, bureaucrats. These were people who were in their positions for 35, 40 years. And, you know, the way you succeed and keep those kinds of positions in government uh, is really not because you're an expert or apolitical. It's because you're skillful at navigating a very political position. So there were a lot of things that we were told. The biggest thing was follow the science. And at one time they said, don't wear a mask. They're dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. And then a little bit later, you better wear a mask or you're gonna die. So what was the real science of all that? Well, the science about masks actually for the general population was known in May of 2020. And I didn't get to the White House until the beginning of August 2020. So uh, for months, uh, actually years, we knew the science. The CDC published it that said that general population masks do not protect you from getting infected and they don't stop you from spreading the infection. That was known with influenza, which is basically the same size virus. And the data uh, throughout the pandemic really was showing that the mask wearing did not stop the spread of the infection. And then the studies were finally published, which were actually difficult to publish in the journals. Later in November, this was a study from Denmark that proved that population masks do not have any difference, the people wearing the masks do not have any difference in their uh, uh, incidence of getting the infection compared to people uh, not wearing the mask. This was a randomized controlled trial. It was then validated at University of Louisville, uh, where they looked at all the masks wearing in the United States during 2020, and they proved that it did not change the spread of the infection, did not change the incidence of the infection. That was known, but the narrative uh, and the fear uh, was actually uh, took over, rational thinking was gone, and anyone who actually said the truth was demonized or vilified. And frankly, that's not science. That's really, uh, I don't know if it was all politics, it was simply irrational thinking from fear, but they tried to stop the information, stop the discussion, including, as we know, the emails that were released of Francis Collins, the head of the NIH, and Dr. Fauci, who were trying to, quote, take down all opposing scientists instead of engaging in the scientific process, which is looking at the data critically. You came under an enormous level of criticism. That must have been a shock. You're a practicing physician. Uh, you're one of the world's leading authorities on such things as MRI. And suddenly you find yourself being questioned by somebody that works at CNN, for heaven's sakes. Well, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's true. Uh, you know, the media was uh, particularly uh, vicious here. 
in the United States, even more than other countries. I mean, I had been in health policy for more than a decade full time. That's what I do is analyze the research and try to figure out solutions to complicated healthcare problems. And so uh, when I entered, I, I wasn't prepared at all. Obviously, I was naive. I thought, well, you know, we're going to talk about the data because, I, frankly, no matter who asked me to go, the answer was yes, because people were dying. The Fauci and Dr. Burke's policies of lockdowns were failing. And so the country was in a, a state of panic, and it, it wasn't political at all. But when you get there, uh, you know, the first, uh, as soon as I was introduced, there were hit pieces by the Washington Post, CNN, and frankly, we're in a position now where we can't really trust the media. We knew that then. Mm -hmm. But we now know that we cannot trust people simply because they have credentials or a title next to their name. We have to become critical thinkers as adults. We have to look at the information. We have to figure out who we can trust, who is speaking about the data and consistently. And we have to take the responsibility really as individuals to make the best decisions for ourselves and our families. We cannot let that sort of be a passive process. We have to become active, critical thinkers ourselves. One of the most, uh, I think, profound things that I heard someone, a medical doctor, uh, very qualified, and he said early on, he said, this is the first time in human history that in a pandemic, we isolated the healthy people instead of just isolating the people who are sick with the disease. And I thought, gosh, that makes a whole lot of sense. So we shut down the entire country all the economy, except we thought you're safe if you go to Walmart, but you're not safe if you go to church. That was weird. Well, I mean, it's completely illogical, first of all. I mean, that's one of the things that we know is that it was simple logic. It wasn't very complicated to figure out we know who's at risk, we know who's not at risk. Let's focus, this is what I said, yeah. targeted protection back in March of 2020. Let's focus on protecting the people who have a significant risk to die and stop the destruction of children and younger people who do not have a significant risk to die. But all logic went out the window. And frankly, as you just mentioned, people don't realize this. Standard pandemic management was known 10 years before this pandemic to, to be that lockdowns don't work and lockdowns are destructive. So they're not part of the way you manage a pandemic. But somehow possibly because it was an, uh, an election year. It's hard to speculate as to motive, uh, but we started stopping, uh, we started locking everything down at the advice of Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, the head of the medical side of the task force, with this really irrational view that you could stop the spread of the virus or even eradicate the virus without, and they frankly never spoke once about the destructive impact of the policy. This was one of the biggest failures, in fact, one of the most unethical uses of public health leadership in modern history, where they said, we're going to stop COVID-19 at all costs and not care about the impact of the policy. So this is really, we can never let that happen again. Well, I hope we don't let it happen again. I'm not sure that Americans would ever just surrender their every moment uh, to government bureaucrats again. If... There were things in the media that, that I found just unbelievable. Donald Trump was accused, for example, of encouraging people to go and drink bleach. He never said that. Uh, you must have been frustrated at times to, to read something in the paper or on uh, one of the networks and, and find that that had no basis in fact. Well, I mean, this was a repeated uh, problem in the media. They, I, I used to think that the media 
was going to be inaccurate and criticized, but I never realized that they frankly completely make things up. Mm. And th this was standard practice. In fact, I mentioned this in my book, but when I was first got to Washington, the president called me on the phone and we had a conversation about many things. And he said, well, Scott, I'm only, you're gonna only learn one thing from me. <laughs> and that is how vile, how, how the media is, how much they lie. He said, that's what you will learn from me. And, and I, again, he was right. He was right about many things, particularly that one. If, if you had it to do all over again, would you still have gone to the White House? And would you have gone with different conditions of going to be an advisor on the pandemic to the president? Well, the answer is there, there is no other choice besides to go. It's my country. Yeah. Okay. People are dying. We had the wrong people in charge of this pandemic policy. So, the, the, of course, you have to go. There is no other choice. And there are no conditions really because it, it, it's just, it, I wasn't, there, there were no conditions because I'm there to provide answers to the president, to help him navigate this crisis, to explain to people uh, in sort of layman language the science uh, and reassure people that people there know what they're doing. And so I, I, I don't think I would do it any other way. I would be less naive. I would warn my wife of what's gonna happen, uh, I would tell my kids, but uh, frankly, you know, uh, th there is no other answer to this. The answer is yes, and mm. I just wanna, I, I would like to add that we must pray that we're not a country where good people are afraid to step up. That, that would be a disaster. Dr. Scott Atlas, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done to serve the country and bring some common sense to all of this. I hope you'll get your copy of Dr. Atlas's book, A Plague Upon Our House. It's available everywhere books are sold. Uh, it is a phenomenal read and it is eye-opening. And if you've had any questions about how this whole thing was managed, this is the book you want to get and I hope you will get it. Get an extra copy and give it to somebody who still thinks that you ought to wear a mask everywhere, even outside or when you're by yourself in your car, because that seems weird. <laughs> to learn more about Dr. Atlas, head over to Huckabee.tv. Right now, Keith Bilbrey, he's going to connect all of us to the things that are coming up tonight. So, Keith, let us know. Well, coming up, champion Elvis tribute artist Ben Thompson, plus country music star Buddy Jewel. You're watching Huckabee. Now, growing up in London, Ben Thompson began performing as Elvis Presley at the age of 15. He went on to perform worldwide, win multiple titles, and then get crowned as the ultimate Elvis tribute artist, world champion by Elvis Presley Enterprises. Please welcome the headliner of the upcoming Nashville Elvis Festival, Ben Thompson. Ben, welcome. We're Thank happy to have so you here. Much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I love the fact that I'm getting to finally interview Elvis after all these years. <laughs> even, even though he's got a British accent. <laughs> what, what, I was going to say, 
I didn't think Elvis was British, but by golly, you're doing well. <laughs> so you. tell me, what got you interested in Elvis? So obviously being in the UK, we, we saw him kind of after you guys. Yeah. Uh, and the first thing I was drawn to was his energy and charisma on stage. Watching him, you know, you didn't realize that he sung every genre of music. And yeah. he has a song for every mood. So for me, just his absolute electricity on stage was exactly what I loved about him. Did, uh, did you ever think that you would make this a worldwide career? Was that your goal and ambition uh, to start? I've got to be honest, 15 years old, I had no goals, you know? I, <laughs> I, was, I was just trying my best to have fun and enjoy it. And um, to see where it's got me and the people and the places I've been, I couldn't be more grateful. And that's all down to Elvis Presley. So tell us about this festival. I mean, it's happening just not very far from here, the Nashville Elvis Festival down in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of town. Well, it is incredible. You know, I've got some buddies here with me as well, and, you know, they're here competing in a contest. There's headline acts. There's Elvis merchandise. has something for every Elvis fan. You've and got some friends? Who... I've got some buddies with me. Well, can we bring them out? I think we should. I think Absolutely. we should, too. Let's bring out the friends of Elvis. How you doing? I feel a little overwhelmed right now. This is, this is just really beyond cool. So all of you guys are Elvis tribute artists, part of the uh, extraordinary weekend that's going on down there. And uh, you know, I, I need to ask, let me just see about some of you doing maybe an Elvis impression. Can you give me your best? Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. What do you think? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I believe they've got it down. Uh, you know, we've got an imposter back here. I mean, th these guys are tribute artists, but I see a poser. There's a guy in the very back. What are you doing back? Come up here. What on earth? What on earth? <laughs> Keith, did you find this stuff from these guys or where'd you get it? Uh, that's for me to know you to find out, baby. Okay. But I got a friend. I got a friend. You do? Now, he is the real deal. Okay. He's been impersonating Elvis ever since he was three years old. Great tribute artist. Would okay. you welcome Kenneth? Oh, hey, come on up hey, here, buddy! Kenneth. Yeah! Wow. Now, look Kenneth, at that! I understand that you are in a group all unique called the Little Elvises, right? Yes. Yes. And how did that happen? When did you become an Elvis fan? My gosh, you're not that old. Well, I became an Elvis fan before I was even one. <laughs> Way back then. I thought you were going to tell me I was an Elvis fan before I was born. In the womb. <laughs> I, was, I was singing Elvis tunes and dancing to the beat. Pretty close. But I guess he was pretty close to that. So, I mean, you, you obviously are way younger than most Elvis fans. What is your favorite Elvis song? Uh, I don't have a favorite, but one of my favorites, uh, Dirty Dirty Feeling. Very good. Can you do uh, an Elvis uh, impression as well? 
You have one for us? Okay, let's hear it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think he's got it. <laughs> hey, if you are anywhere near the Nashville area this weekend, put on your blue suede shoes and head over to the factory at Franklin for the annual Nashville Elvis Festival. If you want to know more, go to Huckabee.tv. You can find links to more information. We've got a lot more for you after the break. Ben, take it away. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. You crying all the time. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Crying all the time. Well, you ain't never got a rabbit in your ear, no friend. White says you was high class. Well, that was just a lie. White said you was high class. Well, that was just a lie. Welcome back. It is apparent we have a lot of Elvis fans here in our audience tonight. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons they're having such a good time is because they are getting to rock to the music of America's very best band, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection from right here on our show. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, of course, Keith, it took him a while to get uh, out of the wig. It wasn't that it was so hard to get off. It's just that he didn't want to get it off. I he really wanted didn't. to wear it for the rest of the evening. And I we like called the way it, the little, little strand hung it, down. Keith, it was you. There's I no know. doubt about it. I know. Do you realize that when I was standing on the stage, I realized that you and I were the only people who were alive when Elvis passed away of this group of Elvises? That's true. And... Right. Uh, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Yes. But, you know, isn't it great that his music and legacy lives on with all these younger fans? And it's just a, a and the tremendous... Tribute, I mean, who else has that kind of following? The tribute artists for years and years and years carry on the tradition. It, it's incredible. Maybe. And the fact that we had 12 of them on our show at one time uh, probably is a record of sorts. Uh, uh, I, I, excuse me, Governor. I think yeah. there were 13. Well, there were 13. Oh, excuse me. Pardon me. Wow. Well, moving on, because we certainly need to now. Steve Geyer is a very popular Christian comedian. He is open for stars ranging from Billy Crystal and Ray Romano to Point of Grace. His books include Shameless and this one. I love the title, Who the Pooh Are You? Now, to be clear, that refers to Winnie the Pooh. And his new dry bar comedy special is called Twice as Old as I Used to Be. Would you please welcome Steve Geyer? They're good. Yeah. Yeah. Cheap applause for me. Thank you very much. I just want to say, Keith, man, you were so cute back there. He wouldn't take the wig off. So uh, it took a little really bit. really didn't want to. It is so good to be here. Uh, I During COVID, I didn't get to do a lot of stand-up. I had to do it Zoom via Zoom. And so this is the first time I've been in front of a live audience in a long time. Yeah, so it's great. So great, yeah. It's kind of kind of weird, though, because I'm not used to wearing pants. 
And then Chick-fil-A called me. Hello, y'all like Chick-fil-A? Love Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. Chick-fil-A called me and said, hey, we want you to do a Zoom comedy. I said, I've done it. It don't work. It's, it's bad. People don't laugh. Or if they're laughing, you can't hear them. No. And they said, we'll pay you this much money. I said, how long you want me to do? Do I have to wear pants? But my wife and I drove up from Opelika, Alabama, where we live. And I want to say a shout out to Officer uh, Officer Waters in uh, Tallapoosa County who got us here safely. So, officer, thank you very much. And thanks for not giving me a speeding ticket. Um, true story, got a warning, told him I was doing the Huckabee show. And he said, well, there you go. So, Officer Waters, thank you. Anyway, um, now when I say Alabama, we're new to Alabama. And when I say Alabama, people look at me with pity, right? They do because something, you know, because Alabama is Arkansas's dumb little brother. And so, but I love it there, you know? And so, and I don't think I have much of an accent until I go travel up north or, because I'm originally from Florida, but when I go up north, especially in Canada, and I open my mouth and talk, people look at me with pity. <laughs> They're like, can you read? <laughs> I may not be a smart man, but I do know what a woman is. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And I get it. I get it. A Southern accent's a little, you know, you don't want your neurosurgeon walking in going, how you doing? Hey, how are you today? Yeah, we're just going to cut your head open. We're going to dig around in there. You're going to be right as rain a couple of hours. You're going to be fine. <laughs> you don't want that. You know, if the guy taking your blood has an English accent, you're like, can he do it? Can that guy do it? Okay. But the thing that I really love the most is the Alabama culture. They are the nicest people on the planet. It's irritating. You go to a four-way stop sign and everybody's like, no, you go ahead. No, you go, no, you go, you go. It's like, what do we do? Get out, hold hands, have a word of prayer, and then we go, is that what we do? Is that how this operates here? And so I used to be kind of judgy, and then I came to faith. I, you and I didn't get to talk much. But when I came to faith, I realized how judgy I was because I used to judge God. Can you believe that? The one that's supposed to judge me, I'm judging him. See, I always thought he was angry. You know, when I heard about, because I didn't, I never read the Bible. I heard about God from television, you know. And I always thought it was like Yul Brenner from A King and I. Remember him, you know? <laughs> Mrs. Anna, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So when I would hear Jesus talk, I heard Yul Brenner from A King and I, like, you know, Zikias, come down immediately. I must say, Chahas today, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I read the Bible, and I'm like, this dude's cool. I mean, one of my favorite stories is he's surrounded by all these religious people, and the disciples bring a blind guy and go, hey, Jesus, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? That's kind of mean. But then Jesus' reaction's great. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but his condition is so the glory of God can be revealed in his life. And then he does something spectacular. Instead of going, be healed, he starts going, <laughs> And he spits on the ground. <laughs> Can you imagine the blind man's best friend trying to tell him what Jesus is doing? Because <laughs> he don't know everybody's watching Jesus but the blind guy. <laughs> hey, man, what's he doing? He just hocked up a loogie. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. What's he doing now? He's playing with it. Oh, that's disgusting. What's he doing now? <laughs> Sorry, bro. He's going to put it on your face. <laughs> but when he washed it off, what happened? 
He can see, right? And then there's a story where Jesus heals a man that can't hear and can't speak, right? The Bible says Jesus sticks his fingers in his ears and pulls them out. The man can hear that, and then he spits and touches his tongue. (laughs) The actual translation is Jesus spits into his mouth. This guy ain't blind. He can see this one coming. (sighs) Come on, open up. Reluctantly, you know, he opens it up, you know. (laughs) Jesus just launches one right in there, you know. His first word's probably, yuck, I can talk. But my favorite part of the story, the blind guy, is near the end when the Pharisees are giving him all this trouble and stuff. It's pretty funny. But then Jesus sends him home. Jesus sends the blind guy home. This guy don't know where he lives. He's never seen his house. Thank you all very much. I hope you had a good time. God bless you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Steve Geyer. Yes, sir. I don't think I've ever heard it quite like that from a pulpit. I like your version. I think it's fantastic. (laughs) Hey, if you want more of Steve's comedy, watch his Dry Bar Comedy Special. And remember to check out his new book, Who the Poo Are You? Everything you need to know is at Huckabee.tv, all about Steve. Right now, Keith, why don't you tell us how we're going to be finishing this great show tonight, and it's going to be fun. Well, next, Mike takes us to Nashville's Madame Tussauds Wax Museum with Kelly Field. Plus, country music singer Buddy Jewell is on Huckabee. Do not step on my blue suede shoes, or anything else for that matter, especially my toes. Now, Madame Tussauds Wax Museum has locations all over the world, but they got one right here. That's right, right here in Nashville. The lifelike sculptures there feature many local icons. And I want to tell you something, going there, it's like hobnobbing with the celebrities for real. Recently, I took a wonderful tour of this Music City attraction. Watch. Oh, this is cool. Johnny Cash, pride of Arkansas, pride of Hendersonville, Tennessee. Wow. Welcome. How do you do, Governor? Kelly, how are you? Very well, thank you. Welcome to Madame Tussauds, Nashville. Pretty pumped about being (laughs) here. This is exciting, and what a way to start. He's one of our faves. Well, I sure would hope so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited. You're going to take me on a tour and let me see Madame Tussauds Nashville, the music would wax love museum. To. Let's yeah. take a look at all these music figures. All righty, let's do all it. All right. And here we have WSM, our replica of the WSM radio station. George Jones, my gosh, there's no one like him. No. I love George Jones. There's never been a voice mm-hmm. like that, and never will be another one like that again. Oh my gosh, 
our announcer, Keith Bilbrey, there's you've got a figure of him. Well, he was inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. 35 years, WSM announcer and Grand Ole Opry announcer. He knows everybody. I, I got to see how real he looks. You know what? He, oh my gosh, because I think he looks better than the real one. Be careful. Oh. <laughs> It is you. <laughs> that is great. Uh, I, I, then uh, somebody brought in a mop. Oh, wait for me. Yes, Hold yes. on. Grand Ole Opry. Keith's, uh, Keith spent a little bit of time here. Oh, man. A lot of old friends here. Waylon, Minnie Pearl, Kenny Rogers, and one of our favorites, Randy Travis, who's yeah. been on our show and on our stage. I love Randy. One of the. One of the great voices in country music, isn't it? The real deal. Now, Kelly, this is a really cool place, and I say cool in the classic sense because it's the <laughs> jazz room, isn't oh, it? Yeah. Jazz club. It's oh. one of my favorite rooms and some of my favorite figures. Oh, yeah. How do you not love Louis Armstrong, huh? Well, what is, there's a, a difference in this room that's like an aroma. Tell us about that. A little bit of sensory. We think this is what you would feel like and smell if you came into a jazz club. Mm -hmm. So you get a little bit of tobacco, bourbon, yeah. maybe cheap men's clothes. Just like you would get at a Baptist church on Sunday morning. <laughs> and Kelly, I think you guys call this the grand finale. Grand finale. It is. Wow. And this, this is, is cool. just a group of stars that hey, we Christian. have. Quite a few stars. And the centerpiece, Reba McIntyre, one of a kind. What a lovely Love person and amazing talent. Oh, all kinds of talent. <sighs> Carrie was looking straight at me when I came Pretty in. Pretty sure she wasn't. Well, it looked like she was. Huh? Kelly, this is such a cool place. Oh. And a trip to Nashville, how could you do this without coming and seeing the actual figures of this the stars that we've grown up with and still love today. Thank you for letting us experience it. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, I don't know whether Keith or I had the best time, but we had a blast. <laughs> we had a, 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 right. We're so a glad large here. time. What a great time. Kelly Field was gracious enough to let us check out her place, so we had to bring her back to the studio, along with a couple of very special guests. Please welcome to our theater, the general manager of Madame Tussauds Nashville, Kelly Field. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. Kelly, we've had a big discussion. Is it pronounced Tussauds or Tussauds? Tussauds. Tussauds. The French leave off a couple letters at the end of each word. The French leave off a lot of stuff, so it's not uncommon that they would do that. You brought with us how perfect that you would bring Elvis tonight. So I guess now we have 14 Elvises in the building. Yeah. Elvis did not leave the building no. tonight. No, he did In the house. And the beautiful Carrie Underwood. Yeah. You know, Governor, we are the world's famous, greatest wax museum. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of tell by the way that these wax figures are made. It takes anywhere from four to eight months to mm. make a figure. Wow. Yeah. It takes Keith that long just to get his makeup on for the show, so that's not really... <laughs> and he was a great wax figure. <laughs> we had such a great time. You know, I, I think if people are coming to Nashville, and so many people come here for just a destination, if they don't come to the Wax Museum, they're missing something. They are. We're a celebration of music. Well, and, and that's the thing. It's like getting to see all of your favorite musicians, and it's not just country artists. It, Crosses the whole genre, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And we're the only Madame Tussauds that is dedicated to one theme. And, of course, being in Nashville, that theme would be music. Of course it is. How long have you been with the uh, the museum? 
about five years. And do you ever go in there and start talking to these guys? Because you just are overwhelmed? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> it's good morning, Taylor. Good is to see you, Is there a doctor in the house? Yeah. Kelly is really messed up. She's talking to wax figures now. True. <laughs> but it must be a fun place to work, to watch the, the joy of the visitors to the museum when they go and their eyes light up because it's the closest they're ever going to get to some of their favorite stars. Exactly. And they can get to all the A-list. And what is so great about it is music is, is a little bit nostalgia. It brings out that emotional feeling. You remember a lot of, of where you were doing or yeah. where you were when you heard a particular song. Now, so. there is talk that sometimes the actual celebrities yes. show up at the Wax Museum and the fans think they're looking at a wax figure <laughs> and the person starts moving. Not it, just Keith. Other people have done that. So... Who has shown up and just surprised everybody? Oh, we've had some great fun. Um, Ozzy Osbourne was at the attraction <laughs> not too long ago. We had Darius Rucker last October. Wonderful. Um, I think someone sneezed and he said, bless you, oh. as a wax figure. <laughs> um, so that was great fun. And um, we've had Randy Travis, so one of our favorites uh, that comes in. And we've, uh, of course, had Keith Bilbrey that came, and he was... Pretty waxy. He was. Yeah. He made a good wax figure. Yeah, he doesn't make much of an announcer, but by golly, he's a good wax figure. <laughs> That's the thing about Keith. <laughs> well, actually, look at him over there. He's, he's got that pose. He's doing it. <laughs> he actually was amazing, and he is the best announcer on all of television. Yes, he is. We do love him. Well, I'll get it right this time, and I say Madame Tussauds is a must-see, and it really is a must-see with wax museums all over the world, but the one in Nashville is just very special. You can get some selfies up close with your favorite celebrities when you go. You might even see me there. Not, not as a wax figure. No, I'm just going to be hanging around, uh, <laughs> meeting those folks myself. Learn more about Madame Tussauds. Visit Huckabee.tv for all the links, and do not even think about coming to Nashville if you're not already going to plan on going to Madame Tussauds. Hey, Keith, if you're done just standing over there acting like a wax figure, why don't you tell us what we have coming up next? Oh, up next, country music star Buddy Jewel is on Huckabee. Next week on Huckabee, comedian Dwayne Perkins and reality TV star Missy Robertson. Welcome back. Buddy Jewel burst onto the country music scene when his self-titled debut album entered number one on Billboard's top country ch uh, album chart. That just doesn't happen. His latest project includes a few remakes of some of his greatest hits, mixed in with original new songs, plus a few covers of his favorite music influences. And I couldn't be prouder to have a fellow Arkansas native on the show. Please welcome Buddy Jewel. Buddy, welcome. I've known you a long time, loved your music. So excited to have you here. This is a brand new album called Blue Bonnet Highway. And you're going to do that song with us later. Where did the title come from? You know, um, my wife is from Texas. Okay. That and so, um, yeah. Well, go ahead. I'm all, I'm always trying to do something to you know to get in her good graces. And so far, I'm, I'm working almost 34 years. So 
You'll be working on it for the next 34 years, yeah. <laughs> and it still won't work, buddy. I want to just tell you. Yeah, so I, I got the title from uh, the Blue Bonnets that grow in the median there in, in Texas a lot. So. Well, you've done a lot of songs. One of them on here, we're going to make it available online. People can get it. It's got to be one of the funniest songs I've ever heard. You wrote it. You did the lyrics on it, and it's called Willie Gave Up Weed. Because <laughs> Willie Nelson announced that at age, like, 88, he was going to give up smoking weed. And everybody knows that's kind of what he's famous for, other than his amazing music. Yeah. But this song, it's so stinking funny. What was the inspiration for that, other than just you thought, boy, this would be cool? You know, I, um, I believe it or not, I was on a treadmill <laughs> in 2019. In November, and I, was, I, I read a lot of Fox News. Okay. And I saw this article about Willie, you know, start quitting smoking weed. And yeah. so I, I got tickled about it. And I thought, well, I mean, that's got to be one of the signs of the apocalypse. You know? <laughs> it probably is. Yeah. So the more I thought about it, the funnier it got. And, uh, and, and the good Lord just gave me the, the rest of the song. But, uh, I, I can believe this song once it hits the airwaves, will become one of America's favorites in, in the great sort of classic reminder of when songs were funny and just pleasure to listen to. Well, thank it, you. It's got all of the elements of it, and I can't wait for our, our audience here in the studio to see it, but also the folks at home to be able to go on our website and watch it as well. Are you still touring? I am. In fact, I just got back from Denmark a couple of weeks ago. I was over there with my friend uh, Thomas Gabriel is Johnny Cash's oldest grandson. Wow. And we were, uh, believe it or not, we were at a place called the Memphis Mansion. In Denmark. In Denmark. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's this huge, uh, uh, my friend uh, Henrik over there had built this replica of Graceland, except it's bigger. And now he's got a Johnny Cash Museum he just opened. It was Johnny's 90th birthday back on February 26th. So Thomas and I were over there uh, dedicating that and then playing a big concert in town uh, later on in the week. Uh, did something smell rotten in Denmark? <laughs> <laughs> Only the old people get that. I, I but, know. Uh, yeah, I, it's, <laughs> we don't have that young an audience. They should have gotten that. I'm well, I, sure. I heard five or six of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're, uh, you're continuing to make music. This latest album is one that I think is just phenomenal. And you've taken old tunes, new tunes, put them all together. And I hope folks will get a copy of it. Will you hang around and do some music with us? Because you know I'm not going to let you leave until you do. Absolutely. You're going to play bass, right? Absolutely. Whether you want me to or not, you <laughs> bet I am. <laughs> well, Buddy is going to perform in just a moment. As he gets ready, Keith is going to tell you how you can get more of this amazing music of Buddy Jewel. To purchase or stream Buddy Jewel's Blue Bonnet Highway and to find his concert schedule, go to Huckabee.tv for all the links. While you're there, be sure to watch Buddy's online exclusive performance of Willie Gave Up Weed. It's sure to make you laugh. Now to perform with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection with Mike Huckabee on bass, here is Buddy Jewel. <laughs> Bought me hogging up my rearview mirror now. That's alright, cause there ain't nothing but the past behind me anyhow. Somewhere south of San Antonio, I felt your memory let me go. The shackles on my heart just seemed to fade. When you said freedom's what you needed, girl, I never dreamed that I would feel the 